everybody. This is Tyler and a very, very special episode of Fried Squirms. But first, I guess I already said I'm Tyler. We're here to get stoned, talk about <laughs> horror movies. Hi, Danny. Hey, Tyler. Now we'll say why this is a very special episode. Hi, Charlie. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. We have a guest, not just any guest. Like, this is all, like, super awesome and for multiple reasons. First off, like, this is crossing over with the Roxy Camp Horror. I'll let you talk about that more in a second. Absolutely. Setting this up. We realized we worked together like 10 years ago. <laughs> it was, I was blown away. I was saying, I saw the name and I'm like, what are the chances? I'm like, oh, it's Missoula. It's like 100%. How many? There's only so many names you can have in this town. But yeah, it's, uh, it's wild to see you after all this time. Right. I'm wondering if this is going to be like some sort of like gotcha moment where uh, like you got some beef from back in the day and you're going <laughs> to just drop it on me. No, actually, if anything, I just feel bad because I can't find the comic that you lent me that I should still actually have somewhere over oh, what, here. Oh, what did I, what did I lend you? The uh, Agent Brown. Oh, Weapon Brown. Weapon Brown. Oh, that's, that's right. right. That's right. That's a okay. That's all right. <laughs> Wherever it is, it's going to where someone needs it. Yeah. By the way, Weapon Brown, amazing. Holy cow, thank you. I still think about that every now and then because Charlie Brown as a crazy, awesome killer agent mm -hmm. is a great idea. So I still have a t-shirt for that that I wear. I think <laughs> I bought the t-shirt and the comic at the same time. The t-shirt has lasted me low these many years, so good on that independent publisher. Yeah, absolutely. So hell yeah, Charlie, welcome. Say what you're doing here because we're not going to be able to do it as much justice, especially now that we've already busted into the weeds, so. Yeah, this is great. I wish more shows I guess it on would provide this, like, up front. Like, it's all, okay, a little inside podcasting. It's always after. Delighted to find it before. <laughs> yeah. Delighted. <laughs> uh, so I am one of the camp counselors at the Camp Horror Film Festival coming August 26th to 28th at the Roxy Theater. It's the brainchild of my Trash Talk co-host, Solvay. It's three days of horror, gorge, and s'mores. We're showing some classic camp-themed horror films, and we're showing a bunch of campy new shorts from across the country and across the world. We got some cool international films, one of which is the clear winner. Like I don't want to, I don't want to put it to us. There's one from another country. I'm not going to say which country. That is clearly the best thing we're showing all festival. <laughs> it's like, well, we need to send them some sort of an award for just elevating the rest of us here, and uh, it's super exciting. We've been trying to get this festival going here for a little bit. The Roxy has been uh, sort of the home to Trash Talk, which, uh, if you don't know, it's Solvay and I, it's our late-night horror show. It's like Monster Vision. It's like Elvira. It's, uh, it's she and I introducing these super trashy old horror or exploitation films and having fun, giving away gifts, doing fun stuff. And we're trying to extend that over three days. Uh, we've got comedy shows. Uh, we've got uh, a little cookout over a campfire on the last night. And we're showing uh, a, just a great lineup of pictures, including um, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, yes, which I'm uh, which I'm introducing. Which depending on how well you know either me or that movie is super hilarious. <laughs> um, I'm most excited. We've got uh, Doctor Butcher MD on 35 millimeter mm. on 35 on 35 uh, from our friends at the American Genre Film Archive, and we're showing uh, a couple of uh, new surprises. And okay. it's pretty cool. We're getting a lot of great sponsor support across not just the town but also like. Angoria is sending wow. us a bunch of stuff. Oh, shit. They're like totally on board. They're just like, you're doing what? Yeah, absolutely. Have some wow. cool shit. Uh, which is always cool when that happens. It's cool when like cool people do cool that you've like appreciated for years turn out to actually be kind of cool. That's amazing. So like the big thing is if you're in the area, go down to the Roxy and check that out when it's going on. Absolutely. And you can get more information on camphorror.org. 
And like, I know that a couple of our most ardent listeners aren't anywhere close, but the rest of you, yes, the rest of you motherfuckers, <laughs> Marky Mark, you can sit out of this one. Jesse, I guess, but you should come back over here and visit at least. He might be back over while it's going on. Oh, well, come down. We can reintroduce ourselves to each other. Yeah. <laughs> but the rest of you, get down to the Roxy, check out some awesome camp horror like we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, I, I think of all the camp horror films, this one is both the campiest, in two senses of the word, and the horror <laughs> <laughs> But before we get into that, let's talk about the weed for a second. Danny, what did you bring me today, since I'm already lighting it up? Well, I think this strain is starting to become a favorite of the show because this is like the second or third week in a row we've had it. But I brought over Sour Diesel. It is a sativa-dominant hybrid, 90 to 10 split. For those who don't know, it's a classic cross between Mexican sativa and Chemdog. So for those who do like being uplifted, creative, euphoric, happy... And with the flavors that consist of candy, citrus, and some skunky and sweet flavors, this is a really good strain for you. How many times in a row have I brought sugar cookies now? Because I, I brought you sugar quite cookies. Quite a few. <laughs> I've just been getting that all the time lately. It's silver tip with Girl Scout cookies, just very slightly indica leaning. Like I said, I've been smoking it a lot this week. I like it because with the silver tip genetics, if I want to get that, which probably my favorite strain... I smoke like half a J. If I want to get like nice and fucking stoned, I just rip through that all. We're good to go. So hopefully I don't turn you into too much of a sleepy boy. That's okay. But it's the point, right? It's a, just a different sleepaway camp. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let me say big fan of the Sour Diesel. Awesome. Um, Long time fan. Big fan of the early stuff. Wow. Big fan of the mid stuff. And, you know, just reinventing the genre. Thank you, Sour Diesel. You know what? Man, we've changed this up so much since we've had a new guest on. We haven't had to, like, reintroduce. Charlie, what is your history with horror and then and or weed? Also, yeah. since it's your first time on. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. So, as a kid, always loved spooky things. Always, always a big fan. Uh, I got really into horror films, I think, in high school. Uh, at that time, uh, I was watching uh, Every Saturday Night Monster Vision, uh, which Obrell mm. Briggs on TNT. And I loved this idea of a horror host, and it's something that I, I followed and studied pretty intensely. I used to go to um, the Horror Host Hall of Fame inductions every year oh, in shit. Cincinnati. That's awesome. Yeah, one year I sat like two rows behind Joel Hodgson from MST3K, and it was the most surreal thing to like see him in real life in that exact <laughs> position that I've seen him in before. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's nutty. Always being a fan of showing them to my friends, I decided um, shortly after you and I uh, parted ways as coworkers. My life completely collapsed. I ruined a lot of things in my life. I thought, well, here I am at the bottom. I guess I want to start over. It's like, well, fuck it. I want to be a horror hostess. Mm -hmm. And so I, I fucking went for it. I started doing a web series called The Spooky, 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 Spooky Movie Show, where I showed public domain uh, horror films to an audience of 25, and I love all of them dearly. Nice. And then that kind of uh, spun me off into the local uh, Missoula art scene. I started sort of being recognized for my general weirdness there. And I started doing stand-up comedy, which I guess maybe what I'm sort of best known for. And through stand-up comedy uh, at the Roxy Theater, I was able to pitch them trash talk, which is what I've been, you know, doing my whole life, which is taking these weird, gross, goony movies and and giving them an audience and, and showing like the power of cinema to that. I live, breathe, and die horror. My last name is uh, is McCorn, which is not it is a name I changed it to. 
because I wanted to be McCorn on the macabre. Nah. <laughs> Lovely. It's uh, it's really fun like trying to explain that to people like judges and <laughs> like like I'm trying to cash a check. I'm like I know that this is not what things up here, but McCorn on the macabre. Get it? Get it? We're the fried squirms. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, <laughs> And then uh, my history with weed, I think I, uh, I had an uncle who was a huge, huge stoner. He used it pretty intensely my whole life. And so I was always kind of aware of it. And then, you know, I went to college. I went to the University of Montana, and they, you, they get you high as soon as you get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I continued doing that. I'm a big fan of it, not just like recreationally, a big fan of the, obviously the medical things. It's helped my anxiety uh, mm-hmm. tremendously. It's helped me in a lot of areas of my life. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan all together, like things I'm a fan of, like horror movies and weed. Kind of like there's, it's the Venn diagram on me is a circle. Like it's yeah. just <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite things to do is just get super high and watch horror movies with my friends. Uh, has been for years, and right at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. That catches you up. So I won't even take notes unless I'm high. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I think let's get into the guts and bolts, and we'll talk about the who and what went into this movie. Guts and Bolts. All right. Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives, who and what went into it. Spoiler free to start. We'll spoil the shit out of this here coming up. Set up. Tommy goes for revenge. (laughs) Accidentally wakes up Jason. People die. (laughs) They need to stop it. There you go. It's very concise. That, that That really does it. Yeah, without spoiling anything, right? Yeah. Yeah, and of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the cast and the crew. And this week, we're going to talk about director and writer Tom McLaughlin. And this gentleman, before he actually even got into directing horror, he was known for mostly writing comedy. So Mm -hmm. this was a perfect mix of both because he was shopping around a lot of scripts for his comedies. And uh, Mancuso kind of caught wind because of what you and I were just mentioning off air which is the fact that they wanted to do a kind of a roundabout face from part five and return to Jason and uh, also wanted to kind of lighten it up with a little bit of comedy in the mix. So hence why McLaughlin got the project. But along with part six in the franchise, he's directed such films as One Dark Night. He's also known for television's films such as uh, Murder in Greenwich, At Risk, Cyber Seduction, His Secret Life, and Date with an Angel, and a uh, Lifetime Network movie, the wronged man. So, did you see the, the one of the acting roles he has? No, I, I didn't. He was the robot star in Disney's The Black Hole. <laughs> oh, holy cow! Yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> what a career he has had. <laughs> Which that's kind of amazing, and I didn't think I would actually get to bring up Disney's The Black Hole at any time on this podcast, <laughs> but that exists. Stranger Things on the podcast. (laughs) All right. Our cinematographer on this is John Cranhouse, and he's known for such films as Brainwaves. He helped on the television series Werewolf from 1987 through 1988 and the martial arts film Kickboxer. All right. We have a pretty big name in editing. We have uh, Bruce Green and a few film projects of note. It's another Mancuso Jr. Uh, produced film is April Fool's Day from 1986. Oh, nice. Yeah, he also helped with uh, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. If you've ever seen such films as Three Fugitives from 1989, maybe Young Guns Part Two, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, uh, the film The Vanishing from 93, and Cool Runnings from the same year. 
What a busy year. I know, Ooh. right? Angels yeah. in the outfield. I can't Damn. believe he was, was he up against himself for the Academy Award for all of those films because... <laughs> 93 was a good year for him, for sure. <laughs> Yo, but on. look at like 99 through 2001. That's what I'm saying, like Runaway, Runaway Bride, Bride right? Big Mama's House, Princess Diaries. Oh, wow. Ooh, The Guru. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Freaky Friday, The Princess Diaries 2, uh, Yours, Mine, and Ours. I mean, yeah. uh, more recently, <laughs> Ghost of Girlfriends Past from 2009. Yeah, he edited a film, Magic Camp, from last year, and he's worked on several projects in television, including Jane the Virgin for seven episodes from 2014 through 15. Good for him. Like, yeah. that's, that is a long-lived career. We would all be so lucky to be editing professionally. I know. The so magic long. of editing. All right, music. Actually, gentlemen, we've talked about two times before. Because he does the music for all of these? Yeah, or Harry Manfredini. Yeah, so we talked about him way back on episode 16. I don't know about all of them? For most of them, I don't know, but maybe. We talked about him on Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and we've also talked about him on episode 65 when we reviewed Jason X as yeah. well. Yeah, so uh, like you said, if you've watched one or any of the films in the series, you've probably heard his handiwork. As well, I was on an airplane with him once. Really? Yeah. He could also wow. tell that I definitely recognized him, and he tried so hard to not look at me the whole flight. You're like, oh shit, man, for Dean. I was like, is that? And it was just the most. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. The special effects was done by Real Effects Incorporated. There are three gentlemen later on who were part of the effects team that had some handiwork on the film, but I'll talk about that in the next section. All right, this was produced by Don Burns. Production companies were Paramount Pictures, Sean S. Cunningham Films, and Terror Films Incorporated. The distributor was Paramount Pictures for the 1986 United States theatrical release. It had a budget of $3 million with a gross of $19.47 million, which is a pretty good return, but still one of the lowest opening or grossing in the franchise. It was released on August 1st, 1986, and the tagline I have, nothing this evil ever dies. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I've, I feel like it could have been stronger, but it's not as bad as some of the taglines. Yeah, we've across. had some where, ugh. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we do have an extended cast, and I'm going to lead it off with Tom Matthews, who plays the lead role of Tommy Jarvis. Now, he's the third actor to play Tommy Jarvis in the series, <laughs> coincidentally <laughs> enough. But uh, a gentleman I'm very familiar with because of the 80s and because of two films in particular. He was in 1985's The Return of the Living Dead as Freddy. And also in Return of the Living Dead Part 2, where he plays Joey. Now, he was also in Friday the 13th. This is archive footage, but Part 7, The New Blood. He was in the film Kickboxer Part 4. He was also in such things as Mean Guns, Waiting for Woody. He's done some television work as well. Uh, I think he did an episode of ER. Uh, more recently, he voiced I mean, Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, and... I definitely saw the episode of ER he's in. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I he, love uh, ER. <laughs> His likeness and his voice was lent in Friday the 13th, the game, as Tommy Jarvis. So, Oh, uh, yeah. Pretty cool, yeah. They didn't want Corey Feldman? They, they, Corey I Feldman could use the payday, probably. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things he could probably use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have C.J. Graham. You know, he and another gentleman with his stuntman, Dan Bradley, played Jason Voorhees, but for the majority of the film, you see C.J. Graham. Now, a few films of note from him. He was in a 1980s film, Highway to Hell, and he was also in the film Vengeance. All right, we have Jennifer Cook. She plays the role of Megan Garris. 
she was a part of the Guiding Light TV series back in 1982 from 83. She was also part of V, the television series from 84 through 85, and the Hitchhiker television series from 85 as well. All right, we have David Kagan, who plays the role of Sheriff Mike Garris, who is the father of Megan Harris in this film. Now, this gentleman, he was actually the acting coach of Jennifer Cook oh. prior to filming. Oh. Crazy. It's pretty interesting. Not a John Carpenter stunt double. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like him. No, he was actually, his character's named after Mick Garris, who was, like, was really ask. good friends. Mm. Yeah, of Tom McLaughlin. Now, this gentleman, not surprisingly, because now after reviewing so many films and how many actors we've talked about this television series, uh, he was a part of Santa Barbara <laughs> okay. from 85 through 1990 as Martini and Gina's Doctor and several other characters. Also part of General Hospital from 2009 through 11, uh, Remington Still back in 85. But I think most notably from a lot of television work, I think he was also part of V, the television series as well. We have Ron Palillo as Alan Hawes. And I think a lot of people are going to know that him That made for, me fucking shit myself. Yeah. Yep. One particular role. I hadn't watched this movie in a long ass time. And my first fucking note is Horshack. Horshack's in this. I know, right? 94 episodes from 75 through 79. Yeah, and welcome back, Cotter. Pretty wild, eh? He's also part of uh, Laverne and Shirley in the mm -hmm. Army. Sergeant Squealy. Mork and Mindy as well, which is really neat. A-Team, Chips. I mean, this guy in the 80s, he's probably going to be in a ton of stuff we grew up on. Yeah, just looking through uh, just a few of them, mostly television. A lot of uh, voice acting as well. This is really cool. Isn't Dickie Roberts? <laughs> oh, fuck, that's right. <laughs> Not Love a Dickie Roberts. Film, but yeah, it's fun. So yeah, it's some pretty cool roles there, man. Yeah, it's cool seeing Horshack in this. All right, we have Carrie Noonan plays the role of Paula Mott. Now, these are kind of getting into some of the camp counselors. Uh, she's like the red-haired of the bunch. Okay. All right. A few films of note from her. She was actually a part of uh, Misfits of Science, which is a television series back in 1985. She was in an episode of The Twilight Zone from 1985 as well, and she was a part of the Days of Our Lives cast from 93 through 95. All right, we have Renee Jones. Oh, then I definitely saw her on Days of Our Lives while I was watching it with Grandma. <laughs> I, we probably all did. <laughs> Uh, Renee Jones, she plays the role of Elizabeth Sissy Baker. A few films of note from her, like I said, another one of those 80s actresses. But she was in the Jefferson television series for an episode back in 1980. She was in Different Strokes for uh, an episode. WKRP in Cincinnati. She was also a part of T.J. Hooker. 21 Jump Street from 87 through 91 is Darlene and Yvonne Andrews. You might have seen her in Night Court, In the Heat of the Night. I definitely did see her in yeah. Night Court. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation for an episode as Lieutenant Akil Unari. And it uh, looks like more recently she was in American Dreams. All right. We have Tom Fridley who plays the role of Carter Court Andrews. A few things of note from this gentleman. He was in Face Off as a prison guard. He was in Phenomenon as an FBI <laughs> agent. And he was Alan in The Karate Kid. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. All right. This actress, we've actually talked about her inadvertently back on the final chapter. And I'll mention that here in a little bit, which is kind of interesting. But Darcy DeMoss, she plays the role of Nicola Nikki Parsley. She's in the RV with Court. Oh, sure, sure, film. sure. Okay. okay. There was a big, bad reason why we talked about her from part four. Mostly the things that she was in, she was in a lot of She's television She's the series. one, isn't she? 
In the final chapter, she's in the goddamn aerobics video. Yeah, so since you've already... Wait, no way. Yeah, since you talked about that, <laughs> part four, there's a coroner who's watching like this aerobicized video that she happens to be in. and <laughs> That is incredible. Yeah, and that particular video is called Aerobicize from 1982, where she stars as herself. <laughs> and I was reading about it, and... Where it she was, stars as herself. They hired like a bunch of uh, actors and models and whatnot to kind of not only sexualize, but it, it was supposed to be more sensual mm. exercise aerobicize <laughs> so no wonder that didn't catch on <laughs> yeah so uh, there was that but so she's in part four the same way bruce campbell's in fargo yes okay yes. all right a few films a note from her she was in hard bodies and body double she was also in return to horror high she was in an episode of full house if you can believe it or not uh, she was also a part of Days of Our Lives for an episode. She was in Vice Academy Part 3, where she went uncredited. She was a part of Up All Night. I know that's a television series. We've talked oh, about absolutely. it all now, Ad Nauseum. But, uh, yeah, two episodes there, which was really cool. Let's see. More recently, she was in, oh, Jesus Christ, The Onania Club, the Tom Six film. That is oh, the a Tom Six film. Yeah. Oh. Is that ever going to get released? I don't know. Do we know yet? We've talked about this a little bit. Oh. Yeah, he's been shopping it around. It's about a group of women who kind of get off on everything messed up. Yeah. It's and, pretty his, and Tom Six's close personal friend, Alec Baldwin, isn't going to uh, help, help get this distributed? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. But she's also in post-production for Friday the 13th Vengeance 2 Bloodline, so keep an eye out on that. All right, we've got three other people, and that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. We have Tony Goldwyn, who plays Darren Robinson. Now, this is his film debut, mind you. We did talk about him all the way back on episode 48 when we reviewed Belko Experiment. I was like, wow, damn, who would have thought that was his debut? But he went on to be in such films as Ghost from 1990 as Carl Bruner. He was in The Pelican Brief. You might have seen him in Nixon from 95 as Harold Nixon. He was the voice of Sir Edwin Wingfeld in Pocahontas, a legend from 95 as well. Uh, he lent his voice as Tarzan in the 1999 film Tarzan. You might have seen him in The Last Samurai. He was in uh, The Sisters from 2005, King Richard, which is currently filming, The Divergent. He's been in a bunch of films, dude. Wait, is that the King Richard directed by, who's directing that one? Rinaldo Marcus Green? <laughs> Not the movie I'm thinking of, never okay. mind. <laughs> I almost just want to use the lead in to just whine about the Belko experiment some more. <laughs> now that we finally covered Wolf oh, Creek, know, how does the Belko experiment come from the director of Wolf Creek written by James Gunn? I don't know. I had a previous podcast where we would watch horror movies eight in the morning. That was one of our episodes. Sometimes that show would completely ruin our days. Just <laughs> wake up and immediately just go into it. That was a day that got ruined. Yeah. <laughs> how? Anyway. Yeah. And I just... Now we watched James Gunn's Suicide Squad this weekend, and it's great. And I'm like, how did you write the Belko experiment? I hate this movie more and more. <laughs> the the longer we get away from it, I know we haven't we haven't done a proper review. I know we've kind of talked about it in passing, but he was in the remake of uh, The Last House on the Left as well. So I'm kind of curious oh, about shit. that. I haven't seen that version, but I'm familiar. I remember standing in line at the AMC and seeing a poster for that, and and just saying. Oh, they remade Last House on the Left. Like, and some right. lady in line was like, yeah, I can't. Just conversation <laughs> with a stranger about, I can't believe they're doing this. Yeah. Why would they do this? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it. 
And that's as much as I can say about it. Wow. <laughs> All right, there's two gentlemen that I want to mention really briefly. Alan Blumenfeld, he plays the role of Larry. He's one of the paintballers, and it's like, why do you bring this gentleman up? Well, this guy... Character actor has been in a ton of films we've probably all familiar with. I'll start off with such things as War Games from 1983 as Mr. Leggett. He was also in Inner Space uh, from 1987. We might have seen him in Problem Child 2 as Aaron Berger. <laughs> he was in uh, The Flintstones as a Fred lookalike. Jingle All the Way as a cop at Santa's Warehouse. He was Harvey in The Ring from 2002. He was also part of the Dickie Roberts film, former child star. Oh, reunited with his old uh, Ride of the 13th Part 6 co-star, Horshack. Mm -hmm. There you go, yeah. Uh, let's see, more recently he was in The Interview from 2014 and 1BR. Done a lot of television, television guest appearances as well, video game voice acting as well. And one of my favorite little things from the late 90s early 2000s he was the manager of together in the made for tv oh, mtv film i know we've, we've <laughs> kind of joked about that Which, plus me equals us i definitely had the soundtrack too That's i was so listening to the soundtrack to like a month ago it's amazing i love that spoof on boy bands and it's all just way too catchy <laughs> I know for its own good, really. Especially for having like Doug Farley in it as well. But yeah, fun nonetheless. <laughs> All right, now this is the last guy I've got on the list, even though there's tons of other actors and actresses in this film. I have Roger Rose. He plays the role of Stephen Halavix. He is the last couple in the woods who were having a romantic evening. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, why are you even bringing this guy up? Well, another one of those actors, actually more known for his voice acting because you might have heard his voice in animated films and television series such as Happy Feet, Rugrats, Scooby-Doo, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, and Quack Pack. There's several others. If I'm going back a little bit, you might have heard him in Gargoyles, Batman the Animated Series, Pinky and the Brain as well. So, I mean, a lot of stuff that I think you and I grew up on specifically. <laughs> it's pretty wild. He also produced Mark Hamill's directorial debut comic book, The Movie. <laughs> yes. The nice. mockumentary featuring Bruce Campbell, Kevin Smith, and Hugh Hefner. Wow. But also is Superman and Batman the Brave and the Bold. Wild. He's one of our animated Superman. Which is weird. <laughs> I love Brave and the Bold, though. Yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. I know you gave us a brief setup of what the film entails. We should give you some warnings heading into the next section. Warnings. A lot of people get killed by Jason because this is a Friday the 13th movie, and it's one of the later ones. Yeah, and probably surprising. But more realistic warnings. Say, what do we got? Surprisingly like, for a lot of fans in the series, this has no nudity at all. So you don't have to worry about that. But I mean, your usual kind of stuff, language, blood, gore. Capitalism. Yeah, there's capitalism. Militarization of police. Yeah. <laughs> Fetishization of Reagan's America. <laughs> Ooh, and a very not cool derogatory term towards natives. Mm. Yeah, there was that one scene. We'll get into it, I'm sure. But, you know, you can just plug your ears for a second and you're past that part of the movie. So yeah. uh, let's get into actually where we can talk about this movie and spoil the shit out of it and talk about all the things we love about it in the How Did This Make You Squeal? 
How does that make you squeal? Alright, so to get this out of the way, this one's been on our slate for a while, and this is like the best excuse to do it, <laughs> because we already revealed off mic, so now we can reveal to the world, this is both of your favorite, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, mine, 100%. I'm not going to say this is the best movie in the franchise, but this is my absolute favorite of them. And it's only fair we finally get to it since we've already done my favorite with Jason X. <laughs> but let's like let's go into that like I guess one at a time. You guys can like rock paper scissors or something. But like history with this one because I've seen it all of like twice. Wow. Okay. I had probably seen this film. Poof. I don't know how many times. Countless times from the eighties because of access to cable. And I've mentioned that several times. But I think the time period of my age. This was the one that they showed the most. So, you know, this is the one I watched the most of. So my history with it, I, I probably since I was a kid, and I'd wager, this just came out in 86. I probably saw it as early as like five or six years old. So we're talking like 87, 88, something like that. Okay. And if this is any disclaimer, I suppose, or any backing, is I own the DVD box set and the Scream Factory Blu-ray box set. And we're both wearing T-shirts. <laughs> so, you know, I go way back with this stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with this film. Oh, yeah. Charlie? Yeah, I'm going to echo most of that. This movie was on, like, USA, like, every other Saturday, at least twice. Like, they would just, like, run the franchise. I remember watching a lot of these films, like, edited for television, you know, in, in, that, in that first way. And... You know, at that time, they all kind of like blend together because, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're not seeing all of it. There's commercials, you're popping in, you're popping out, memories get fuzzy. But then as, as an adult going through and, and revisiting it, kind of like finding how I feel that like the earlier films in this franchise, kind of a slog, like maybe of an aged. Yeah. Like maybe not the most like, like if I were to say, um, like, ooh, and I know this is a bad example because we're actually showing the first one. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually introducing it this week, but... If I were going to show one of them, I would either show this one for, like, the fun factor or the fourth one, because I think it's, like, the platonic ideal of this franchise. There was a reason that, like, when we decided, oh, what's going to be the first, like, Friday the 13th we're going to talk about mm -hmm. on this podcast? We didn't choose any of the first three, because, meh. Like, they're fine, but it's, it's very clear that, like, this franchise has... Like, they had no idea what they were doing. Like, so clearly, like, they had built this flying car... And didn't know what to do with it. I mean, which is why, you know, famously, like, the first movie is, I mean, spoiler alert, just, like, reverse psycho. Mm -hmm. And then, like, by the 10th movie, he's a cyborg, like, killing, like... <laughs> and, yeah. But people forget that ninth movie where he's, like, a demonic worm that people eat to get possessed. And Oh, right. Like, that franchise just goes so far off the rails because they didn't know what they were doing. But it's so fun to watch that trajectory and to see sort of, like, this sort of point, I think, where it's almost like... A soft reboot. It was all like because you know, he was never undead before this, but I so much associate him being undead with the character, and yet that was such you know it wasn't you know, until this movie that it really popped in. That's true. I didn't even think about him not being undead till now. And that's just with the default because those first movies are kind of boring. Because <laughs> he's just like some weird dude. Like he's just yep. a dude with various masks. That yeah. I think this one might now be my second favorite. Awesome. Nice. I don't know. Not growing up with it, I watched this and I kind of wish it was a little bit meaner. Most of the kills in this are like immediately cut away from if you even get to see the beginning of it. 
And I'm like, give me like, you guys are right there and you're six into the franchise. Don't be shy with it. But yeah, you know why people are coming to these movies. Yeah. But maybe it's that, you know, it was the comedy director. It doesn't have that comedy sensibility of just like punchline and out. But yeah, it could definitely, you know, we know what we're here for. Like, we're and not going to look ourselves in the mirror. Let's wallow in it a little bit. <laughs> that makes it, this one's funny. Like they did get that, the comedy director and it were, I was mm-hmm. like, oh shit. And some of the shit I didn't even catch the first time through and like second time through, I'm sitting there like, oh, oh, that was a joke. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> there are some baffling choices. The James Bond opening. Yeah. yeah it really. What the actual fuck. <laughs> I know it is. It, it establishes the tone, but it's so weird. Cause again, these movies aren't like this until this. No, no. Yeah. And there was no internet. You couldn't like read about, say you couldn't like see tr- like trailers outside of what they were selling. That's true. Like one of those times you want to be back there, go back in time, opening night, see a movie with a crowd. I would love to see oh, how the audience would react man. to the comedy of this and not knowing what it was going in. Yeah, you're right. It's hard to gauge what that would be like sitting here now, 35 years later, but just off of some of the interviews that I've heard with, whether it was Tom McLaughlin or those associated with the project, they talked a little bit about that. Like when some of those punchlines were hitting, they'd hear like a roar of laughter or, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler since we're in this section, but the smiley face death and stuff like that. You know, people were getting good chuckles out of it because I think they started to realize that this film wasn't being too serious like the previous entries. And this one was, you know, even though Jason was super serious, everything behind him was kind of laughable, you mm-hmm. know, very kind of aware of itself meta in that way to go just a little bit before that bond opening though like i get that horshack is <laughs> fucking super scared but if one of my buddies pulls me out to a fucking cemetery <laughs> and we together dig all the way down to a goddamn coffin we better be opening that coffin <laughs> <laughs> like that ain't the journey <laughs> I'm going to be pissed at my buddy if he just sees the coffin. He's like, okay, cool. We're good to go. I'm like, no, you're opening that. And then we're going to put all that dirt back. And you're going to put like three quarters of it back. Damn you. (laughs) I wonder who paid for Jason's headstone. Like, like who paid for that? His burial, his coffin. Those things are not like, I don't know. What do you do? But they definitely gave him like this nice plot and a nice, which is sort of like that soft reboot thing. Like some weirdo in town's like, you know what? He was an asshole, but he was our asshole. I'll, I'll put some money in. And it was, we came together. But actually, that's a really good question, because we're talking about a town that has completely renamed itself to get away from him. Mm-hmm. But they're like, we're going to make sure he's got a nice grave, though. Well, here's some interesting trivia, since, okay. since you both brought this Ooh. up, right? Give now, it to me, Danny. There was a proposed idea for this character that we're all kind of alluding to this mysterious character who helped fund the grave for not only Jason, but his mother as well. Was there supposed to be like a Jason fanboy? So here's, man, we're all in the spoilers. This is kind of almost getting toward the end. So there's a caretaker of the cemetery. All right. Now his character in, I think this gentleman, his name is, his last name is Hawes as well, but there was a novelization where his character never dies. And actually, in this film, his character wasn't either 
the studio. For a second, I took that never dies as him being immortal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Tiny Tim. Yeah. yeah. The studio wanted more deaths in the film. So his character was one of the added characters to get oh. off. Now, in the novelization, he was working in tandem with a Mr. Voorhees. So they were going to introduce the father of Jason kind of as a shadowy figure, a mysterious figure who's paying to keep quiet, you um, know. To, it's like hush money, bribe money. Just take care of it. Don't worry about where it's coming from. So Jason's dad's got money. Yeah, so, so it, it never <laughs> was fulfilled. But yeah, that was the intended purpose. That was the intended plan to finish this film as far as its ending as opposed to the ending that we got. And instead the dude just gets... Bottlenecked. Yeah. He's just out singing a song, <laughs> yeah. having a grand time. That that death, <laughs> great. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, the way Jason breaks that bottle, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't smash it. He just uses his hands to just kind of like, cr- like the way he Crack. does it is so funny. It's like how a Muppet would do it. Like the way that it falls apart. <laughs> so... With what we see in the movie, Jason would have just stayed dead if Tommy would have never showed up there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, this is Tommy's fault. Well, I think it's God's fault. <laughs> the way that Jason comes back from bed, canonically in the series, the reason that he is an undead, unsuppable machine is he's impaled with this, this uh, wrought iron fence, and then lightning strikes it. And as we all know from horror films, if you're struck by lightning, no matter how dead you are, you have to come back to life. Oh, without a doubt. I think I think the divine was like, you know what? Let's like shake things up a little bit and just fire the bolt down. <laughs> yeah, let's mix it up some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and later in the series, he's a deadite. Yeah, that's right. Which I kind of love that, but I know, we've talked about it a little. Uh, bit. No, but yeah, this time, okay, I'm I'm okay with blaming God. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I am for everything else. So why yeah. not? Why not this too? McLaughlin said it because he was working with Paramount because he's getting to work with, you know, a monsters per se. So he wanted to do a, an homage to the universal films with Frankenstein. Hence the Karloff drop a little bit mm. later on in the film. Mm-hmm. So it's makes a, sense. It's a very Gothic cemetery yeah. they're in. And I really appreciate, yeah. you know, this movie looks like a horror film. Some of the other films in this franchise, you know, like woods and, you know, it's yeah. nature and it's things. Kind of, okay. This looks like a horror film, and I appreciate that. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, a lot of this was filmed right outside of Atlanta in uh, Covington, Georgia. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool. And, and they said, too, they filmed this film in the fall because of the, the feel it gives out. And I can attest to that because I'm, like, I'm from the southeast, and it's kind of what it feels like during that time of year. No, mind you, a lot of it's lighting and stuff like that, too, so... <laughs> I think I still might be more shook up about Horshack dying than Tommy was. No kidding, Jesus. Yeah, he dies spec- like so just brutal. immediately, just right through. <laughs> and he's like, runs to the police station. Yo, you got to listen to me. Like, they killed him. And no, seriously, we, we dug up Jason. No, listen to me. We dug up Jason. I'm never going <laughs> to mention the fact that my buddy got killed again. Yeah. <laughs> we dug him up. Oh, we brought his mask to him also. We decided yeah. that if we're going on this... Mission for vengeance or this. confirmation, which he needs to because he before he puts it on, he looks like Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he kind of looks like a zombie out of Fulci's films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit Fulci-ish. I get it with this kind of movie, but I'm just like, yo, your buddy was Horshack. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't just forget about him. Yeah, that I mean, quickly. they kind of dismiss him. 
That's about it. I mean, even the, the whatever the pretty the pretty girl walked in the room though. Yeah, was Horshack added in afterwards? Was there a scene where he like dug him up by himself <laughs> and that happened? And they're just like, well, we have to reshoot this. Who who do we have? Well, we got Horshack. He was looking for work. <laughs> We're gonna cast him still as around high school age, even though he's ten years past Welcome Back, Cotter starting. Which also, I think, with the time jump in Tommy Jarvis between part four and part five, this movie takes place in a hypothetical, like, mid-90s. Yeah. Oh, okay. Makes sense. So that's why everyone looks so different. <laughs> that's so funny. That first couple that ran up on Jason. Oh, yes. I don't remember the character's name, but I love her. She, I wish she would have lived because <laughs> she didn't deserve to get off to like that after making such astute horror <laughs> observations and kind of just being caught in the mud thanks to her dummy boyfriend. That's so funny. <laughs> do, you, do either one of you know who she is? No. So that no. is the wife of Tom McLaughlin. Oh, okay. Right. So she said the reason that that line was in the film specifically is like that was one of the gripes that she would always point out to him while they were watching film. Like, why would somebody do that? That's stupid. So I'll they wrote it, it in the film. <laughs> <laughs> wrote it in the film. Now, here's something interesting since we're in this, this scene, right? Is C.J. Graham, the reason he got the part is one of the effects guys saw him put on, like he owned a cafe or like a cafeteria somewhere in Georgia at the time. And they would put on, for whatever reasons, uh, a Jason like short play. And he would play Jason. And the, the effects guy noted that. I want to know the reason. <laughs> I want to see a movie adaptation I know, this of is this. Crazy, right? And so he mentioned it to Mancuso because... Dan Bradley, he's the guy that we get to see during the paintball scenes. So he's that's the only part that you ever get to see of him right. as Jason. And then C.J. Graham plays the rest. Uh, they said because they felt that guy was a little too heavy for the part. Okay. Yeah, and so they brought Graham in. And Graham has military background experience, so he knows direction. Graham was really good with the Jason purposeful walk. It's weird that that stood out to me, but it's something I look for in my Jason. <laughs> <laughs> During the scene where Nancy McLaughlin, she's the passenger, of course, in the VW, where he's like driving the spear through the windshield, he was supposed to come through the driver's side because you can see him make that movement. He said his momentum carried him over to the passenger side, but it wasn't her in the car was like another stunt man and he happened to be dashed in the, the floorboard. Mm. He said, otherwise he probably would have got him pretty good. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. So a lot of these effects were practical. Even the RV scene a little bit later on, that was all done in one take. Spectacularly. Yeah. With Graham driving. So <laughs> pretty wild. I miss the days where your special effect was just actually crashing a car. Yeah. Like I know <laughs> that we enjoy the hydraulics and all the CGI, but I really, really wow. love it. When you just take a car and you wreck it and you film it with three cameras. Yo, we have an extra car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do this. Who? <laughs> That's wild, man. Don't get killed. Yeah. You give the stunt performer <laughs> an extra 50 bucks. I know it. Just you like, tell him to just, you know. Hit this mark. Go for yeah. it. <laughs> hope. <laughs> they were riding on a lot of hope. But, I mean, it, it pulled it off. But, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Now, the guy in the car with her happened to be Tony Goldwyn which we talked about earlier. I was in Belko mm -hmm. Experiment mm -hmm. and all these other films. Yeah, so that was his debut. And I do like how kind of meta it was, even the American Express joke. They said it took a little wrangling for American Express to approve that for obvious reasons. 
I'm glad American Express like signed off on that. That would have been really disappointing if they turned that down. I was listening. It was just generic credit card. I know. <laughs> I was listening to a little commentary, and one of the actresses, uh, she was actually the woman who played the other couple in the woods later on in the film. Mm -hmm. She said there was a running gag on the film set where they were putting like rubber chickens in scenes and what have you. And she said that there's like rubber chickens that they would put in the glove box of this car, but they removed it, of course, during the filming. But she said there is one left in in a scene. I didn't get to that scene because I didn't get to listen to all of it. But uh, yeah, she said somewhere there is a, a rubber chicken you can spot. Oh my god! And that's the reason behind it. Oh damn! Which is kind of interesting that you brought up horror host and late night horror host because we had a guest on uh, Donnie, coincidentally enough, and talked about Spengoli. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And coincidentally enough, when I was in Seattle, I got to see the rubber chicken museum oh sweet which is super odd because it's in a gag store in a neighborhood uh but spengoli's pictures in it and signed rubber chickens and what have you so i was like oh this is kind of odd <laughs> <laughs> that again i would kill for that man's career oh man right Shit. so wild but i think it's just an interesting coincidence once again that we get to talk about these things you know so there's a time jump <laughs> But there's not been that long of a time jump. Like, Tommy was a kid, and now he's a young man. How is it that Jason's only a legend to these kids <laughs> in a town that changed its goddamn name because of him? I mean, maybe that's it. It's, it's just like, we just don't talk to the kids about it. It's like Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, yep. we just don't tell the kids. And this is what happens when you don't tell your kids about the local boogie people. They show up. There's a lesson here. But, like, it's... All of them are supposed to have happened, right? So, like, they all have to have known someone that died, right? Yeah, like, over after four movies? Like, absolutely. Oh, There's yeah. yearly vigils for, <laughs> like, <laughs> five movies at this point, yeah. You're right, they kind of just dismiss him as a myth, a legend. Yeah. <laughs> How do we know Jason actually existed out at Camp Blood? Well, because you guys were only in, like, fourth grade when it happened. like, And they literally changed the name of the town. <laughs> yeah, like because of it. <laughs> like, we changed the name of the town because <laughs> of this. And now we're going to say wow. that it's just a legend. That's that. You know what? Hashtag teach the controversy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Danny, I know that you ended up getting recommended this by me just a few episodes ago, but I was getting hardcore Good Omens vibes from the paintball scene. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit, I wonder if this is where they cribbed it because they were cribbing so much from, like, horror movies to make that novel anyway in wonderfully delightful ways. Fucking read it, dude. It's so funny. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a corporate paintball thing yeah. in that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, just fetishization of the military and the corporate culture. I love that little meta-commentary. There are these business folks who are out and, you know, complaining about the workplace and, and complaining about the woman's place in the workplace. Mm -hmm. That was pretty good. Like, that one guy who gets just, like, spectacularly killed just has this, like, weird rant about how much he hates women. Yeah. And it's just, like, that perfect setup for it's just, like, we need to hate this guy because what's going to happen next is going to be really funny. Like, if we, that, that guy was just like, you know what? She's breaking through the glass ceiling. That's okay. And then he gets killed. Different vibe in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so I'm glad in this case that man was a misogynist. Yes. I wonder if there was anybody in charge of the props that was thinking, like, this dude is a cosplayer, basically, who... <laughs> doesn't even know what he's doing. Not even a good <laughs> cosplayer. And that's why we're going to give him 
the unused, completely shiny machete. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice. That's, that's a level of detail there. Like it was a very nice machete. I love that. Like Jason getting the iconic machete back is by him showing he doesn't need it and just completely rips the guy's <laughs> arm off. Like I can do this anyway, but this is just going to make it more fun for me. <laughs> it's like someone that like you know quits smoking and it's like you know what I can do fine without yeah. it. I can do fine without it. Then you get it back and you're like nope. This is me again. It's meant to be. I wanted to point out, there's an actress who is just kind of in this paintball scene sequence. Mm -hmm. She's in it not very long. She winds up shooting two of the guys that are just like complaining about lunch and not eating. And one of the oh, other yeah, guys, yeah. Gonna, anyhow, she winds up shooting them. You could say metacritically when they were wearing the dead uh, bandanas. Which I love. Great yeah. fashion statement. <laughs> we should try to bring that back. <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to point her out, and I, I wouldn't have known this unless I heard some of this on the commentary, is her name is Ann Ryerson, and apparently she's one of the co-founding members of uh, Second City Improv. Oh, holy cow. Yeah, I was wow. like, wow, that's kind of big. So, Damn. What? Yeah. So I was like, wow, I would have never known that. <laughs> so I did want to point that out for those who are fans. Oh, wow. This movie's weirdly stacked with its cast, is that, and like people who worked on it during yeah, the entire yeah. paintball sequence, too. Manfredini's score is on point because so it completely switches to like the like happy go lucky army type vibes and <laughs> shit, and it is amazing. I mean, I'll listen to his normal fucking Jason shit all day, right? Long, but no, this but is good. When the switch was made, and it was like, you basically just changed the entire movie genre just by switching up your soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> really did. Maybe another one of those things that was an influence on another director. It made me feel a little bit like uh, some of this was Dog Soldiers kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Just kind of waiting on the guy to run into uh, one of the branches <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> Never happened, but, you know. Going into this... I really didn't think that we were going to have to bring up the militarization of police, but when dude brought out that super high-tech laser oh, scope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oof. Also sort of in my, well, we'll get to it, but I feel <laughs> that the police in this movie, like wow. in most horror films, I mean, one, a lot of them do get jasoned. Mm -hmm. Which which is which is an exciting, thrilling, thrilling scene to see, but Sheriff Garris, I don't know, like he, he seems like that fictional movie cop, that you, I don't know, like especially his thing with his daughter. I feel that some other chief of police is going to you know pin all of this on Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, the I had a point, but you know what? I think I I think I'm just too high. Is what I think the problem is. It's okay. I'll come back to you. That's it. Well, since we're talking about him right now, yeah. I had a question, especially in slashers. We have certain like there's always characters that, quote unquote, earn their fucking deaths. Do you guys think the sheriff quite crossed that line? Because he's the character that they're setting up to earn his death. But I never thought he quite became that big of an idiot or a dick. He's treading. Yeah, he's treading the waters there. He's. I think also being like, unless I'm mistaken, I'm, I'm going through my mind, he's kind of a character that these movies hadn't had before, mm. which by this time that this would come out, you know, we'd, we'd had all the different versions of the 
um, if you've ever seen the Behind the Master Eyes of Leslie Vernon. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Ahab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they have like the Ahab, the yeah. Ahab, who was sort of Tommy Jarvis in this, but this this cop role sort of fills that advisory role that like Donald Pleasance does in, in, in Halloween. And I do wonder again about the day-to-day admin of Forrest Green and like changing the name and then covering it all up. <laughs> But I don't think so. Like, he feels like a bigger character. Like, he feels like, oh, he might survive the next movie. Oh, he might get wounded and he might be able to come back with a limp at the very end. Or, And he doesn't. He just kind of, like, not really. He folds. He folds. He, he sure does. He, uh, <laughs> wow. He did not know he was going to hell tonight. Like, oof, no. No, he didn't. Also, that's one of those, just a touch more of looking down at what happened to him. And I'm like, Give me that. It's such a cool action to fold that dude backwards, but mm. yeah, I yep. know what you mean. Yeah, it's uh, he just kind of shows up after everything. I don't think he earns it. I think no, I don't either. I think you're right. He feels like he's the one being set up to be in that role of oh yeah, he deserves, but he never fulfills that. He never quite gets that bad. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Which that's kind of too bad, but you know whatever. Like a lot of people that don't deserve it also get killed. Yeah, so, like, oh, I mean, and I'm all for that yeah. happening. So <laughs> you know, it's, it's the question humanity's been asking itself for years. Like, why does God let people get folded in half? Like, <laughs> both good and bad people. Like, why? Like, and we, I don't know if we can answer it here, but it's all part of the experience, I guess. So then, actually, then like the camp. Right? Because we're actually then like. Because we actually get to camp finally. We actually get to camp. Yeah. So if anybody's a fan, if, if people are keeping count, this is the first film in the franchise to actually have kids at the camp. And maybe the only one to have kids at the camp. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, like when you say that, like it suddenly it makes total sense, but suddenly, <laughs> like I never thought of that. Because the rest, incredible. internally, I just scanners. <laughs> 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 I'm just like scanning the movies up and down. Just. Yeah, but. Apparently, the rest of the franchise, they just focus on the counselors right. and, you know, the people yeah. around the camp. And these kids are amazing. Yes. A uh, little girl reading uh, uh, No Exit in her camp. In her, in her <laughs> that was one of the ones I missed the first time through because <laughs> I was like, oh, they're at camp. And, like, I kind of faded out a little bit and I was stoned and, like just checking out shit on my phone and I was like it's just showing kids reading whatever we're we're supposed to think kids are being kids and then this morning when I was rewatching it and like taking notes and shit I was like that is amazing <laughs> thank you for the no exit that that kid is reading it's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah I even like the lines that the the two boys in the film have where the guy's like yeah we're definitely gonna die <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, what did you want to be when you yeah. grew up? Yeah. So, what did you, you want, want to be? be? <laughs> yeah, this film is—it's pretty clever in those oh lines. My God. Yeah, but I, yeah, I thought that was a good touch. It even amps up some of the tension and drama, and oh, absolutely, you know, stuff towards the end as well. So, you know, what, seeing nice the touch. kids actually be at camp in this one did stir some memories for me and how jealous I am of them because the only summer camp I went to as a kid, first off, it wasn't a lake. It was just a little pond, but we couldn't go into the pond because of the beaver fever. (laughs) So we just had to sort of look at it from a distance. And I'm like, look, you guys got like a big, awesome crystal lake. And I know that there's bad things in the lake like Jason. Yeah. But still, this is a lot more exciting than any camp I went yeah, to. You, you lived and get to tell about it. 
That's yeah, that's true. I did live through my camp, but those kids lived. No, it's getting yeah, those kids didn't. get to experience it and get to talk about it. Although I, I did kind of like my counselor, and I went and wanted him to get yeah. to die. So he definitely would have died. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those counselors get it pretty good in this film. They uh, they do. Those poor poor. I mean, wow. just being lined up to be knocked down. Yeah, I love the kill count in this movie. Even though I'm, I keep going back and bitching about like, oh yeah, it's not mean enough. There are a lot of people get killed in this movie, uh, and it's a, a lot of fun. Quite a bit, yeah. The running gag in the film amongst the you know cast and crew was they were just going to keep it at thirteen, the kill count. Oh, for obvious reasons, but because like I said earlier, the studio wanted more, and they actually wanted more like blood and gore. So McLaughlin would shoot a kill scene like three different ways, you know, kind of like mild, medium, and hot. <laughs> Oh, huh. I, li- I like that a lot. I wonder if any of the hot footage still exists because it's obvious they didn't use it. I would imagine. I mean, they did a pretty good job of archiving this film, too. So I would imagine it's Paramount hmm. shot on film, if I'm not mistaken. So Wowzers. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because, like I said, he just wanted to keep things kind of mild and almost what you were saying earlier, kind of setting up the punch and just kind of working through it, you know, blasting right through it. So, uh, yeah, there's that. I would like to have seen that. There was a few things, like, for instance, I did hear this with Horshack's, you know, punch <laughs> through the heart. So they actually, like, created veins for the heart to show the pumping, and they were oh. supposed to throw it on the ground and see it bouncing. But, yeah, there's certain things that they chopped up, left out. Interesting. I guess release the un... I know. Release <laughs> the waiting on it. We release the it. hot cut. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's yeah, when the kills start just... One after another, because you get, like, the caretaker, Mm -hmm. which we kind of already mentioned. The bottle in the neck is great. Yeah. Then what? That was, that's when the other couple sees what's happening, and he gets them, but that was both with the machete on the bike, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, about to escape. Just the shish kebab? That was supposed to be a throwback to another kill in the series, too. I think it was, I can't remember where it was, the spear through the bed. Oh, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I think so. I think it was supposed to be, like, a, a callback, kind of homage thing. Then you have court with Niccolo in the RV. God, what a goober. (laughs) So, so much to say about this scene. Dancing sex? (laughs) Aerobicize. Also, with his his tank top is just like rolled up (laughs) around him. That has to be so incredibly uncomfortable. That sounds awful. I, for a second, I thought that they had traded clothes, but but no, her buttons were on the right side. <laughs> like I was looking, like, wait, is this what's going on? Because I'm always looking for that in movies. Let mm-hmm. me just say, but yeah, what an uncomfortable way, like, to have sex. One timed to not quite an Alice Cooper song. I don't remember what song's playing oh, at that point. It's um, Frankenstein. What was that? Um, Oh, no, uh, Teenage Frankenstein yeah. comes up later, later when they're leaving. I can't remember what the song is when they're having sex, but it's oh, by yeah, Felony. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if I ever, I mean, spoiler alert, if I ever get murdered, I hope it's to Alice Cooper. Like, I hope that, that I'm just at a point where there's music playing, mm-hmm. and that's and that's how I go out. Like, that's <laughs> the dream, right? Fair enough. I fucking, <laughs> I loved the, I thought that was the end of the song. <laughs> You told me until the song ended. <laughs> Especially after that look of desperation on his face when she's like, 10 minutes. He's like, what? 
don't know. Court was the dumbest and one of the most enjoyable parts of this entire movie. Because then them just trying to drive back to civilization while she's getting fucked <laughs> up in the back. And he's just talking about the RV the whole time. Man, this is great. Yeah, just... <laughs> her death, or her, her that moment where, where she gets... Uh, the wall of the RV's bathroom gets vacuum sealed around her face. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Doesn't make a lick of sense, but it's really cool to look at. Total, like, Looney Tunes energy. Yeah. yeah. Over the top. Although, like, Cor kept playing it off, like, sounds like you're having fun back there, like, you need any help? Like, how do you mistake the screams she was giving for anything other than, I am getting murdered back here right <laughs> no, now? Right. The actual phrasing of, are you taking a dump, is used, which is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, ah, nope. But yeah, he uh, he gets it through the ear, yeah, wrecks the RV. Yeah, then that was the one we talked about. One take, RV crash with CJ in there. They just reinforced it, you know, to keep him from thrashing around, obviously. But, wow, that's pretty ballsy. Yeah. One take. God bless him. I know, right? Good on him. <laughs> that's as a monk course. Then, yeah, then we have, what, like Tommy getting in touch with Megan and stuff after that. Yeah, because he's been run out of town by the sheriff, of course. And, and, and the daughter of the sheriff immediately falls in love with him. She sees him in a jail cell and is like, boy. you know what? I'm going to ruin my life for this boy. <laughs> it's a feeling I get. I understand yeah. that. And I think, you know, her father's a sheriff. He's in the cell. It's, you know, Freud wrote about this. Like, it's pretty It's pretty simple. Like A very strange tale as, old, as time. <laughs> We've all been there, really. Don't know how many times I ruined my life that way, but... I don't know, like, that's when Jason actually starts offing the counselors. Yeah, I think it starts with uh, Sissy. Sissy and um, one of the other gals are in the cabin. They're kind of goofing off. And, yeah, Sissy sticks her head out the window. <laughs> it gets yanked out the window, and her head snapped. Pretty gruesome. That was pretty good. Yeah, and then Paula, that's who it is. She gets it a little bit later on, too. It's It gets pretty gruesome, apparently, mm-hmm. once uh, Megan goes back a little bit later on in the film. Oh, shit. Is Paula the one that gets it in the cabin? Yeah, we don't get to see it. We just see the blood splat. Oh, that's right. To me, that might have been the most outright, like, violent scene of the movie. Because you do get a bit of Jason, like, fucking with her some. And then they don't show much, but it's one of the better times where they leave it to building what's happening in your mind as the camera pans across you know that they're moving across oh, man, the room yeah. mm-hmm. and then you see the follow-up with her popping out the window for a second and then getting dragged back in and then holy shit the aftermath pretty brutal <laughs> and very and very well done like it does what it does very effectively i think so too i think there's a mention too i don't know if it's a little bit earlier on where they're wanting to play a game camp blood yeah, I wish I knew the rest of those rules. Now, a part of trivia I read about was that Mancuso is like a huge David Bowie fan. So the working title of this film, when they were filming it, without dropping the name of the actual film, was Aladdin Sane. Mm. Right? Oh, nice. All right. Now, the working title of the original film was like, had something to do with Camp Blood. Okay. So, the, yeah, the working title of Friday the 13th was originally... You know, I'm part about I can't blood. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they changed the name. But I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. They still drop in these references. So they were aware of well, the franchise's history. And then under the lake, when you see the old camp sign, 
it's been spray painted over with blood. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this film is pretty aware of itself, not only just, you know, with jokes and the time period it's in, but also within the franchise itself, too, like the franchise's history. So it's a, a nice touch to continuity in a way. I love the gag when they're speeding back. Oh. And they do the other little Looney Tunes, fucking the spinning speed and speeding? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, like, it's, yes, they're speeding. There shouldn't be question marks on it. <laughs> you know, I think we would have a lot safer roads if we just switched to more passive-aggressive signs. <laughs> <laughs> just speeding? Maybe. Like, oh, I I guess I was. Maybe I should slow down. <laughs> Do you think when, uh, when, when, when Tom McLaughlin was writing the screenplay, he's like, oh, because, like, we have the signs where it tells you you're going too fast, shows you the speed. They had those in the 80s, like, oh, and then it shows this. And then the second unit director's like, oh, I can film this, no problem. (laughs) Like, all right, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, why not? Here's a a part in the film that, growing up, I would have never had noticed this, paid attention to it, with Tommy has all these books on the occult. I noticed that this time also. Mm -hmm. Right? And he gets the idea that Jason needs to return to the former site of his original death. Right. You know, hence why he's got to take him back to the lake. But that also ties a little bit into some like vampiric lore of returning to the home soil mm. in order to kill it. So uh-huh. it's another one of those touches. I think they're trying to pay an homage to some more universal monsters. Oh, nice. Oh, I take that. Yeah, it's like they did a pretty clever job of like interjecting things like that in here. They also Is... cast Dwight Fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this the first one where they go, oh, well... Jason got drowned the first time, so to get rid of Jason, you have to drown him again. <laughs> yeah. Because that kind of becomes a thing. That's yeah. true. That's that's very true. Boy, so much of like what I think I personally like take for granted for like the Jason lore, they really set up in this movie. Like yeah. it, it's it's all there. And so I know we talk about like him as the comedy director, but Tom McLaughlin, like he did a really good job with this as a horror film and as a part of you know, a larger franchise. Yeah, you're right. I think this one really it was like the reset that uh, Halloween 3 Season was the like the, yeah, the standalone, mm-hmm. which it's a fun film in its own right. But, you know, it's... It's a it's, better Doctor Who episode than it is Halloween movie. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So, it's lots of fun. Still enjoy it. But, yeah, it's not a Halloween that we all know and love. And that's kind of what this is. Like, this is what the Jason that we know now. Yeah, yeah know, this not is kind of weird. Not some dude this. running around in different masks and hoods and all that stuff, you know? <laughs> like, so. I do like the idea, and I, I part yeah. of me wishes they would have gone with it, where you know, the first film, obviously, it's, it's, it's the reverse psycho, it's the mom, and then we have Jason for a few movies, and then we have Roy the Ambulance yeah, Driver for yeah. that fifth movie, and this one, like, not like James Bond, but like, pass it down, like, just like, keep this like, line of slashers going, I know it would be incredibly difficult to do because they're trying to brand the characters, but as like almost what they did with the Saw franchise, you know, mm. like oh yeah, yeah, almost what they did with the Saw franchise. And I'd like to, I don't know, I like Jason obviously, but so much of it comes from this. I wish we could have had more variety, maybe. Yeah, no, I understand yeah. that completely. I think that's another thing that like when we get to talk about films like this more and and this sense as opposed to just oh we enjoyed the film blah blah mm-hmm. blah, it makes you kind of play around in this universe. Like, you know, what could have been this different path they could have taken. And 
I like that the ambiguity of it all, you know, it does make you wonder, maybe someone down the road will reintroduce all that stuff, that storyline, who knows? You're kind of fun to play with. Yeah. So the most impressive thing Tommy Jarvis does in this entire movie is pour a perfect circle of gasoline 10 foot away from his boat. (laughs) (laughs) Safety first. (laughs) So can I say something? I noticed this time watching through the beginning of the movie, it's wonderful storytelling, good screenwriting. Mm -hmm. Beginning of the movie, he throws gasoline on Jason and then he can't light it because the rain comes down. Yeah. At the end of the movie, he sets the fucking lake on fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's character growth. Like, yeah. that's character growth. You're right. He got through it. <laughs> like, fuck it. I'm just going to attack the water itself this time. Let's do this. Also, like, I guess even before he's out on the water, are those, like, hanging lights on the pier designed intentionally to be as creepy as they are? <laughs> That's the 80s for you, man. <laughs> Perhaps. Did somebody, like, make them, like, hold static in place? And they were just watching it one night, like, nah, nah, I just can't imagine getting killed enough right now. <laughs> yeah, that was designed by the camp's uh, decorator who came over from uh, from, from East Berlin. <laughs> Brought this style with them, and they, they really created something very unsettling. <laughs> We really need these to just swing at any little breeze, really. <laughs> and then what? He collars Jason. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, essentially, they use the uh, was it the outboard motor? Yeah. To kind of slice them up a good bit. Megan, uh, she gets her her kill in, which yeah. you know he's he's undead. He but that <laughs> but getting he's undead, but getting a boat motor to like your collarbone. Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty gruesome. Miserable, like no matter who yeah. you are, that's going to that's going to suck. Yeah, that's true. I'm surprised at how shallow Crystal Lake is. <laughs> <laughs> Climate change. <laughs> yes, that's a great argument. <laughs> See that that's that's how we turn it around. We show all these ads and just like Jason chain like, so from the funny. neck down. Yeah, yeah, leg. I like it. <laughs> the more the water goes down, the easier he's going to get free. The one comedy beat that I think the director missed is in that last little bit, just having like buoys just cordoning off the Jason zone in the middle of the lake. <laughs> that would It's like, y'all are good as long as you don't come within this little yeah. bit. There's like, a sign that says question mark, Jason, question Jason. mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like I said, it's fun. Yeah, all these interesting people that are a part of this project, what they bring, not only in terms of, you know, just the characters themselves. And like, for instance, I think a lot of people think of this version of Tommy Jarvis, too. I mean, outside of Corey Feldman, which is it's kind of sad in a way because John Shepard kind of gets overlooked from part five, which he does a fantastic job. He really does. He was approached to come back to reprise his role. Now, he went through kind of a spiritual enlightenment with Christianity and didn't want to be a part of it. He liked the script. He said he even liked the part with the little girl Nancy praying and Jason. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, you can argue that the only reason why he spared her is because the damn sheriff showed up and was making all that noise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so anyway, anyway, he did enjoy the script, but he went on a different path. And Tom Matthews was brought aboard. They didn't know at the time, which is kind of interesting, that he worked on Return of the Living Dead. Like, he's already had some experience with horror films. They didn't know that prior. You know, they just... He played a really strong character, and he did his homework. He said he tried to capture certain mannerisms and the way he reacted to Jason and what have you. 
like when I think of Tommy Jarvis, this is usually the first person I thought of growing up. Yeah. You know, so there's that. And yeah, just the campiness of it, like the meta awareness of it. Uh, apparently Kevin Williamson, the guy we talked about, I don't know how many times now because of Scream and oh, yeah, I know what yeah. you did last summer and all that stuff. He met Tom McLaughlin and told him how much of uh, influence this film specifically was on his screenwriting for Scream because of its meta-analysis of the slasher genre. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I love a good meta-slasher. Yeah. I, nice. I love seeing through the, the seeds of it here. Yeah, which is, like I said, growing up, it wasn't even a concept that it, that's what this film was. I just enjoyed it because of, I don't know, I just felt during that time period like one of those slashers that you could watch any old good time and well, it's, <laughs> it's fun, fun and it's got a high kill count. As I was saying, it's it's fun, man. And kind I, of standalone. Yeah, like really you, you can bring someone who's never heard anything, seen anything about this franchise, and come in and they can watch it and they they get it. it it's all there. You're right. It's true. Yeah, the soft reboot. It's great. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and once again, it's the film that kind of let us, in a weird way, see Jason the way he is now, not necessarily prior. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting too. Yeah. Indelible mark on the franchise. Yeah, without a doubt. I don't have anything beyond that. <laughs> you guys summed it up really well right there. It's probably my second favorite now, but it still didn't unseat Jason X for me because that <laughs> shit is bonkers. <laughs> no, it, it really is. Like, so you get David Cronenberg. We even talked about it. Weirdly enough, the guy who voiced Link in the like the animated Zelda series back in the late yeah, 80s, yeah. early 90s, was uh, like the professor who was leading that group. Yeah, that's right. Which is weird. So there's that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, some interesting people on board. So we, we got to talk about that. But yeah, that's what I think reviewing these films does for me is like you never know what you're going to learn, whether it's through like little trivia or the people mm-hmm. associated. There's always something fun to learn about these films. Yeah. They're such a way of about film in general, and especially horror film. It's such a collaborative yeah. art where all these things have to come together and having, and there's always a story because it, it takes Absolutely. many people, many hands. Yeah, I, I read too, part of the reason why it didn't have a high return in the box office is because it was literally up against Aliens at the time. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. And mm. there was like a slew of films coming in Ouch. after it was released as well that was like some heavy hitters as well. And it was released in August as opposed to the spring where the other films in the franchise normally were released. Okay. So, and I think this is the time of year was known as kind of like the dead months, like August, September for film releases. They typically don't have like huge returns. So this does inspire me because, you know, all, all media will soon be owned by one giant conglomerate. Give me Jason versus Aliens. Oh, give my me gosh. Give me that movie. Or Jason X versus Aliens. It's probably <laughs> yeah. much easier. Yeah. It's an easier way to translate Segway. it. <laughs> yeah, I keep doing the side franchise. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I had to take a look. Aliens was in its third week. You had, oh. Howard the Duck, I know, yeah. was released same day. Same day as oh. Howard the Duck, which got the number three spot that Five that million, weekend. I think it, it made in three days, but yeah, not what huge. A, what a fun week at the movies you could have. Karate Kid Part 2. You had the 12th week of Top Gun being in the theaters. <laughs> Ooh, Flight of the Navigator. That's a fun okay. film. Ferris Bueller's Day Off was still in the theaters. It was in its eighth week. Movies will never be this good again. Mm-hmm. Back to School was also in its eighth week. A classic. I yeah. mean, oh, a different time, a better time. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Being up against an alien, that sucks. 
that yeah, sucks. <laughs> that, that does that does suck, especially when you're trying to get that horror audience. Yeah, like it, I'm gonna go watch these aliens just annihilate people. I'm <laughs> sorry, Jason. It's tough to be the sixth installment of something. Yeah, we're up against what is one of the best sequels of all time. Jeez, no kidding, right? Um, but uh, you know, it holds its own. I think so. Yeah, I think so as well. And you're right. I think for a franchise that's in its sixth. <laughs> installation it's not too bad sixth in six years i know right successively it's pretty strong and you know at a certain point there's a point of diminishing returns so well, you know, something has to get it starts but with this seven is, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, man i enjoy this one too much when's that new one it's like the 13th one has been supposed to be coming out pretty like forever right soon i think from what understood i heard some news some rumblings this might have even come from uh, Corey Feldman. Was I think they've reached a settlement? Apparently, like the Cunningham Estate and whomever else. I don't know if it's Paramount or whatever, but there's like this huge thing going on about the rights. Who owns the rights to this franchise? So I don't know. We'll see. Huh. I don't really have anything else to say about it. <laughs> Do you guys any have anything else before I guess we wrap this up? I'd say go see it. Like you said, it's yeah. a good standalone. If yeah. you haven't seen any in the franchise, it's, it's a fun one to jump in on. Yeah, And there's no casual nudity if that's something that's a, that's a hold up. That's yeah. true. That's true. Unlike a lot of sixth installments of slasher franchises. All the ones I can think of right now. Yeah. Charlie, once again, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank you so much. This was an absolute, <laughs> absolute blast. And give us the dates and everything on Camp Horror one yeah. more time. Check us out, camphorror.org. We are August 26th to the 28th. Horror, gore, and s'mores. It'll be a great time. Classic films, fun. We create our own slasher for it. The sack launch slasher who will be having part of the meta-narrative of the weekend. So come down if you're in the area. TheRoxyTheater.org Hell yeah. Do we know what we're doing next time? We might have one on the back burner. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're going to go figure that out. It'll be the surprise. Listen for it. (laughs) Whatever. That's all I got. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.